Good morning, everybody. Uh, you're here on a good day. This is going to get really fun here in just a little while, but uh, good morning to all of you in the room, as well as those of you joining us online from some other part of the world. We're grateful to have all of you uh, participating in this way. We're going to get into the teaching portion, the Bible lesson portion of our service a little bit earlier than we usually do because, again, it's a baptism weekend and we're going to kind of build to that and let that be the apex uh, of our time together. And for that reason, we're not going to dismiss the kids. Uh, we usually have uh, at, around this point, uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders are encouraged to go and meet their leaders in the back, but we're going to get the kids to stay today. So you're welcome to hang in. I will try to be a little bit shorter and try to be semi-interesting to you uh, as well this morning. Uh, real quick, though, a couple of family matters I just want to make you aware of. Uh, we're in that season of Operation Christmas Child. This is the effort to care for and bless kids in different parts of the world. If you want to participate in Operation Christmas Child, get your box in the atrium when the service is over and then bring them back on November 11th and 12th and be praying for those who are on the other end of that exchange. And then one other invitation to any of you who are newer to our community, maybe you feel new or maybe you've been away for a while and you've just come back or you just feel disconnected. If you want to have lunch, look at that glorious pizza. Mm. Um, we would love to have you hang around for us uh, today and have lunch. Uh, pastor Gabe and I are going to host our Pizza with a Pastor. We do this uh, every few weeks or so, and if you'd like to join us today, we would uh, welcome you. But we'd like to know you're coming, please. So grab a phone, go to our homepage, find that icon, that logo right on the front page. It's under Featured Events. Go ahead and do that now and say, hey, I'd like to stay for lunch and, and talk a little bit more. We'll do that about 15 minutes or so uh, after this service is over. All right, I'm going to get into our text for this weekend. Four verses, four verses from the Gospel of Matthew. This is message number five in our Deeply Rooted series. This is all about Jesus' intent for his followers. We say around here that um, we're all about becoming and uh, belonging and becoming deeply rooted followers of Jesus. So we wanted to define what we mean by deeply rooted. And it's not our definition. We want to use the definition of Christ itself. And so uh, his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. No greater curriculum can you find in the scriptures that articulates what a deeply rooted follower looks like. So that's what we're doing. We're looking at these uh, familiar teachings of Jesus, hopefully in fresh ways. So Pastor Brody finished up chapter 5 last week, and now we're flipping to chapter 6, and this is how it begins. Watch out. Begins with a warning. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. With someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. I don't intend for this to come across as self-indulgent, but I want to tell you what I did on Friday. Uh, Friday is my day off. I'm privileged to have a day off during the week. I work weekends. A lot of pastors work weekends, so I take a day off during the week. And Friday is the day I typically can do kind of what I want to do, what I need to do for me and my family, that sort of thing. And so I did something a little bit unique on my Friday day off this week. I spent some of my day delivering furniture to some new residents of Canada, to some young people who are refugees from an African nation, who were refugees from uh, a, ref a nation. So uh, there's a kind of a connection that I have with someone who made me aware of a need for this little group of individuals, and they wondered if that might be a need that we might be able to meet, because we have this ministry called We Care. There's, they're downtown right now. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we do a little uh, street service and minister some, to some folks that are under-resourced in our community. And occasionally, we have access to some furniture and other household goods to help people out. We've got this unique relationship with a local business that allows us to do this sort of thing. So when I was asked if we could help this group of individuals, these roommates, I reached out to our We Care leaders. I, called, I texted Zane, and, and I talked to them about possibilities, um, Zane and Sean. And so on Friday afternoon, we met up, and we loaded into a trailer a, a bed, a brand-new bed, a mattress, and a couch, a really nice couch with a hide-a-bed. 
And we took all of this, our intent was to take this to an apartment in the city. Because that's what a guy like me does on his day off, is goes and cares for people. Now, I hope you see what I just did there. Okay, I hope you made the connection. I just told you a story to make myself look good. And by the way, we all probably do stuff like this once. I, I can't be the only one who occasionally tells stories to kind of impress people. You know, we, we do that sometimes. We, we posture, uh, we describe certain things we do, we post certain things we're doing. I'm guessing I'm not the only one tempted to do good things, sometimes motivated by a desire to be noticed. There's got to be at least two or three of you in the room who have a propensity for stuff like that. Maybe doing good things through questionable motives, especially when it's the approval of others. I tell you that story in the way I did because this is precisely what Jesus is teaching about in this section of his famous sermon. So for the handful of you who are at all like me, I want to work through these four verses of Matthew 6, verse by verse. So let's look at these one at a time. This is verse 1. Notice how Jesus begins this section with a warning, that watch out. He's giving us a very emphatic warning not to do good stuff for the admiration or approval of other people. He says, if you do that, you'll lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Now, trying to wrap your head around all that Jesus is saying here might be made easier if you think about what he's not saying. He's not saying, don't do good deeds. Um, the very line of reasoning right here is that it's a, an assumption is being made that his followers will be people who are doing good things, doing good in the world. And other New Testament writers reinforce this. Uh, certainly Paul does, Peter does, James, who we think is the half-brother of Jesus, places a whole bunch of emphasis on the idea that any serious follower of Jesus will be someone who seeks the good of others. In fact, James states that there's actually something wrong if our faith doesn't result in doing good things in the world. So Jesus just assumes his followers, out of their sense of being his apprentices, will have a bent toward doing kind and good things for other people. Jesus is not saying don't do good deeds. And, and he's not saying if you do good deeds, always hide them. Now, it's easy to think that. You know, some people read the verse that's on the screen and, and think, okay, the, the teaching is don't... Uh, don't ever let anybody know what you're doing. Don't do good deeds publicly. Don't let anyone see or know about the good things you do. I don't think that's the teaching. And here's why I say that. Because if you were here a couple of weeks ago, I taught the portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. That's Matthew 5. One chapter earlier, one page of your Bible back is what almost looks like a contradictory message. So in Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. And in chapter 6, he says, don't do your good deeds publicly. Which is it, Jesus? Right? Make, what is it? Well, first of all, what you're seeing on screen right now from chapter 5 is only half a sentence. Here's the second half. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So don't be confused by these, what looks like mixed messages. Despite being maybe a little bit confusing on the surface, I think Jesus is being helpful. I think he's giving us a way to discern how or when to tell people that you were involved in something kind of cool, some Jesus-y thing that you might be about. A, a way to determine whether or not it's, it's permissible or wise to talk about or post about something is through the question, does it glorify God? Does it cause other people to praise your heavenly Father? There may be times where it's okay, it's even helpful to tell people about good stuff you're involved in if it brings glory to God, and it can cause people to give him praise. So let me retell the story from the beginning in a way that I think will land a little bit better. First of all, the relationship that our We Care leaders have with this local business is remarkable. 
it's been a relationship fostered over many, many years. And there's this very unique trust relationship because this local business, when it has excess goods, it knows that we have people of integrity that will get it into the hands of people who will really benefit from this, from this stuff. And so when I was asked, I was approached by somebody I know and asked whether we have a, a potentially a bed or a couch for this uh, group of immigrants, I shot that text to Zane and very quickly he replied and said, yeah, we've got exactly that stuff. We've got it right now and we need to get rid of it. And so I met up with uh, Zane and Sean and we were loading this stuff up. And as we were doing that, we, all we had was an address where we were going. And we started talking a little bit as we were loading this very heavy hide bed into a trailer thinking, oh boy, I hope we're not going to be looking at three or four flights of stairs on the other end of this thing because this thing is a beast. And we had a king-size bed and mattress, not exactly apartment-friendly. And so we loaded this stuff up, we, we drove to our address, and I was the first one there, and I was elated when I got there to find out the address in the city was a fourplex, one of these fourplex apartments, and where we were going was down, <laughs> just down about six or eight stairs, easy peasy. And when we put this uh, stuff through that front door, a narrow door, we literally had like a quarter inch on each side. Everything just fit perfectly. It was like it was all lined up for us. Honestly, truthfully, it only took a couple of hours. It wasn't that big a deal. We had exactly the stuff they needed. They were elated. It was a joy to be a part of something. It was like God was orchestrating the whole thing. Better? Is that a better version of the story? <laughs> yeah. So who gets the glory there? I hope not me, because I really had very little to do with it. Jesus is not saying, hide all your good deeds, your good actions. He's saying, when you do good deeds, when you do Jesus-y things, don't do them to show off or to look good in the eyes of others. In chapter 6, where he says, don't do your good deeds publicly, the, the Greek word translated here, publicly, is the same root word that we uh, get our, our, our word theater from. It's performance, a show. That's what the word means. So what Jesus is dealing with is our motivation. He's addressing our, our heart posture, the motivation by which we do our actions. Jesus knows we're capable of doing even good things for questionable, goofy, or even narcissistic reasons. And if we're honest, like most of the time, our motivations for what we're doing are quite mixed. For example, um, you know, doing what I'm doing right now, standing before you, teaching the way of Jesus is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. I, I hope that's how you're receiving this. But teaching a room full of people and an unknown number of people online can be done for good reasons, but also for some questionable reasons. It's easy for a person in my position doing what I'm doing now to let aspiration creep in or for ego to creep in as motivators, even when teaching God's truth. I mean, I wish I stood before you with only sincere and God-honoring motivations, but truth is, deep down inside, there's probably a little mix going on. And don't judge me, because tomorrow, uh, some of you will go to work, and you will likely go with mixed motivations to whatever you do, you know, to put food on the table. I mean, trust me, some of you will probably go tomorrow to your workstation or site or school or whatever, and you will have nothing but, hey, I'm just going to honor the people that are paying me. I'm going to make the world better. I'm going to try to help other people flourish. You might have that pure motivation, but you'll probably have a little bit of that coupled with frustration or exhaustion or complaining or God being, there's always mixed motivations going on. So I think what Jesus is asking us to do is just assess why we do the things we do, including the good we do. Whether it's teaching the way of Jesus or serving other people on a ministry team or caring for a child or whatever it happens to be. In Jesus, in this teaching, he's asking us to think about our motivation. And in the next section 
of his Sermon on the Mount, verses 2 to 18, he gets into three specific practices. So he sets this whole motivation thread up, and then he has three different applications. He talks about giving to those in need and prayer and fasting. Next weekend, we're going to talk more about prayer and a little bit about fasting. But in the few moments I have left, I want to look a little bit closer at Jesus' comments about supporting people in need. So here's verse 2. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and calling attention to their acts of charity. Hey, they've already received all the reward they'll ever get. Let's pull this out in in some chunks here. When you give to someone in need, you probably are thinking money. That's the way most of us read this. Uh, It can certainly be money, but it doesn't have to stop there. It can be money, time, encouragement. It could be a range of things from something as noble as fostering children, taking people into something as simple as helping a neighbor find a lost pet, giving to someone in need. Yes, it can certainly be money, but it could be giving time or giving of yourself through relationships and connection. Now, I don't have uh, time in this message to get into everything contained in the phrase, give to someone in need, but the whole canon of scripture from Old Testament to New, from ancient Israel to the church scattered after the persecution and destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, caring for people in need is this high, high biblical value from our Heavenly Father. And so Jesus, I believe, is all about, all for giving to the needy. But that's not actually what this part of his sermon is about. Jesus, again, assumes that deeply rooted followers will be generous with their time and their gifts and their resources. Again, what he's dealing with is motivation. And he describes a wrong or negative motivation as well as a positive one. So the negative one is right here. When you give to someone, don't blow trumpets or call attention to your acts of charity. Now, this is probably not obvious to you. It was not to me. But there's an interesting play on words in the text here. The the historians and the scholars point out that in Jesus' day, most synagogues would have a giving box made out of a ram's horn. And that same ram's horn would be used to make shofars, kind of a, a trumpet. And so the scholars kind of think, a lot of them think, that what's being described here is people giving in a dramatic kind of look-at-me Louis sort of way, kind of a noisy way. So metal coins are a thing in Jesus' day, and the historians think that these uh, containers would have sort of a rattle to them that you would drop your coin in there, and you could do it in such a way that would, would be sort of obvious to other people. Maybe, by the way, you don't just sort of slide it in kind of subtly, but you kind of like, blink, blink, and maybe you stand there with multiple coins and, and let them bang around this, this tube a little bit. It would be sort of akin to, if we're not passing the offering bag since COVID, we might someday again, I don't know, but anyway, most of us are giving electronic funds. Anyway, but let's say we, we were passing the bags the way we would conventionally do offering, and one of you maybe stood up with a big wad of cash and, and kind of took that moment to hold it up a little bit and kind of peeled off a few bills and kind of put them in one at a time. That's sort of the imagery we're getting here. It made me think of something that happens at um, Panda Express. Any of you ever go to Panda Express in Emerald Hills? They do something there. They've been doing this for several, year, uh, several years. When you go to pay for your food, the, the staff will say to you, uh, would you like to make a donation to the stallery? And what they're trying to encourage you to do is to kind of put a buck or two uh, on your bill for the stallery or maybe round up a little bit. So I've done none. I've, I've rounded up, you know, the 75 cents. I've put a couple bucks in. I've done that a few times. But if you do it, uh, if you say, yes, I'll do the, I add a dollar or two dollars, the staff person rings a bell and the rest of the staff all go, thank you. And, they, and you, you can kind of stand and let the other customers know that, hey, I just... Jesus says, when you give of yourself, when you give to the needy, don't announce it to the world as the hypocrites do. This is one of 17 times in the New Testament that Jesus uses hypocrite language. And most of the time, he's speaking about religious leaders, the Pharisees, the teachers of the Torah. And in context, don't think of uh, hypocrisy when you see it as deception, but as acting. Uh, Jesus is from a theater town, area. Like, 
there's theaters all over the place. In Roman culture at this time, there's theaters uh, around them. Uh, Jesus' hometown is not far from the Roman city of Sephora. And I'm not talking about the cosmetics company, but uh, Sephora has this massive theater and it's, we think, being constructed when Jesus is a child, maybe as a young adult, it's possible that Jesus and his father work on the project at Sephora. There's theaters all over the Middle East. The point Jesus is making in verse two is a lot of religious leaders are like actors. They're not the real deal. And there's enough of this in the news right now, including another, another one this morning. And don't go to your phones now looking for that, but the poor behavior of Christian leaders, hypocritical actions, acting, is doing incredible harm to the cause of Christ in the world right now. But that's not really Jesus' issue in verse 2. Notice he says, they have received all the reward they will ever get. In other words, if you give to the needy in order to be noticed, you will be noticed. You'll get applauded. You'll get a pat on the back. You might get a plaque. The staff at Panda Express will say, thank you. Or you might get comments on your Facebook page or your Instagram page. Hey, you're great. That's awesome. But Jesus says, that's all you'll get. So Jesus is not saying doing good things with your time and your money and being recognized by your peers is a bad thing. He's just saying, if that's your motivation for doing it, you've set your sights too low. The positive motivation is in verse 3. But when you give to someone in need, here's the motivation, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You should be confused. I was confused. I still am like, how is that even possible? Well, look at it like this. What's he addressing? This is about heart posture, motivation. Jesus is describing how deeply rooted followers are the kind of people who over a lifetime grow and mature into the kind of people who naturally do Jesus-y things. That phrase, Jesus-y things, is a John Mark Comer line. Deeply rooted followers are people who by their nature do Jesus-y things without even thinking about it, much less thinking much of it. I want to show you one of the best Dallas Willard quotes you'll ever see. You're going to see it on screen as well. This is how Willard interacts with Matthew 6.3. Deeply rooted followers are the kind of people who've been so transformed by their daily walk with God that good deeds naturally flow from their character. These are precisely the kind of people whose left hand would not notice what their right hand is doing. As for example, when driving one's own car or speaking one's native language. What they do, they do naturally, often automatically, simply because of what they are pervasively and internally. These are people who do not have to invest a lot of reflection in doing good for others. Their deeds are in secret, no matter who's watching, for they are absorbed in the love of God and those around them. They hardly notice their own deed and rarely remember it. Isn't that awesome? Some of you are going to ask about that and say, can I get a copy of that? I'm going to ask our communications team to put that on our social media post so you can all look at that and reflect on it later. Jesus suggests the long-term goal for deeply rooted followers is to become the kind of people who naturally, reflexively just do good things. And you can get there. All of you can get there. If you follow Jesus over a lifetime, you can get there and learn to give your gifts in this way. And then the promise is your father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus suggests that the right motivation for giving to those in need or any good deed is to be rewarded by God himself. And this is another real mystery to me. I'm not even sure how to interpret what this really means and what this reward of the Father uh, is practically. Um, I pulled out all my commentaries on this one, and I really don't know that I've, I've yet to see a, a really good explanation for what's meant by reward in verse 4. 
Karina and I were driving home from the service last night, and she said maybe that ability to be self-forgetful is the reward. I don't know. He just says to give to those in need, and if you do, your heavenly Father will reward you. Even if nobody else sees it, the teaching is God sees it, and he'll reward you. So at minimum, a deeply rooted follower is someone who's broken free of the need to be noticed. And that's a hard thing to break. I mean, we're all born into this world crying for attention, right? Literally, crying for attention. And as little children, we crave the attention of our fathers and our mothers. And some of us in our adult years are dealing with the wounds from not receiving the attention that we deserved and and needed, especially from our earthly fathers, which may be part of the explanation for some of the poor behavior that is on display around us and and some of our incessant need to prove ourselves through work or achievement or possessions. And this need for attention explains a lot of our social media posts, which if you examine them honestly, are not so subtle attempts to show other people how cool we are, how well-traveled we are, or how good we look. So, as I wrap this up, I want to give you a suggestion, a challenge, uh, an assignment, if you'll receive it that way, to break free even a little bit from that constant temptation to live for the approval of others. Now, some of you deeply rooted types, there's a lot of you here, and I know you, and you do quite well with this already, but some of you are quite literally, emotionally, absolutely in captivity because of what people think of you, or maybe more accurately, what you think other people think of you. So how do we break free from wanting so badly to look good in the eyes of others and and, and just live for the reward of the Father? Well, among the things I love about Jesus is how practical he is. He gives us a way to break free a little bit right in the text. And so this is an invitation. You don't have to do this, but if you want to try this, here it is. Over the next week or so, next few days, do something Jesus-y. I don't know what that might be. Just volunteer somewhere, do something unusual for somebody, drop a meal off, drop a gift off to somebody. But whatever you do, whatever that Jesus-y thing is that you do, do it 100% in secret. Don't talk about it. Don't post about it. Don't go to your life group and say, I just want to tell you what I was able to do, how God worked through me to bless other people. Then just, mm, just do something kind of cool and Jesus-y and then say nothing. And as you're doing that, do this. Just pause for a moment. Just for a moment. And think about the face of God. Think about God's face looking at you with a smile on it. And let that by itself, just the approval of your heavenly father, be enough. You're not earning his love. You've already got that. Just imagine your life being smiled at and let that be enough. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for the practicality of your teaching, your word. Thank you for this incredible challenge that we have to self-forgetfulness and acts of service that make you smile. God, make us ready. Prompt us to spot the opportunity that perhaps you will put right before us to apply this teaching in practical ways. And now as we turn our attention to stories and testimony, God, thank you for these individuals that are going to testify to their faith today. And I pray that they, as much as we want to praise them and encourage them, I pray that these next few minutes brings honor and glory to you, not to any of us, but to you. So God, empower them, embolden them, and I pray that you would smile on this whole gathering as we worship you and celebrate together. In your name we pray. Amen. So last night we had quite the party in here. About 20 individuals were baptized last night. It was a hoot, and we're going to do it again this morning. Uh, 
going into the service, we had like 13, 14 people queued up. If you see more than that, that meant uh, some of these folks have just responded in the last little while to the promptings of God's Spirit. So listen, uh, you're going to see some testimonies on video here for a few moments. Some of the folks that are being baptized uh, did this in a way that we were able to capture some of their stories. Not all of them. Some of them have, have declared their faith in the fireside room or with pastors over the last few days or maybe over the last few minutes. But regardless of how this all goes down, their act of getting into this water this morning is a visual testimony of their faith. And as they do that, would you cheer them on? Would you celebrate them? And then give God the glory for what's taking place. And to all of you being baptized this morning, we honor you, we celebrate you, we thank you for being a living example of faith, and we hold you in the highest regard. Thank you for what you're doing, and we pray God's blessing on you today. Let's watch the screens first. to be baptized because God has shown me no matter who you are and no matter what wrongs you've done in your life, He will still accept you no matter what. I follow Jesus and have a relationship with Him because He has never left my side and has always guided me back to Him through friends and family. And for that, I am thankful for Him and ready to declare my life to Him in every way possible. My name is Kiana and I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Today I'm choosing to be because God has put it on my heart and He has really shown Himself to me lately. My whole life I have been hearing about God, but not until recently have I really started to understand who He is. I am really excited for what God's holding for me in the future. A verse that has really stuck with me is John 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I have now realized He will never leave me. He's always with me, right beside me, and I never need to be discouraged or afraid. My name is Isabel Dugan, and I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This time last year, I moved to the city and started a brand new life for myself. But I lacked direction, and I was trying to heal from heartbreak. Just when you think you've explored all your options, one day it becomes so obvious that you've just been missing a life centered by Jesus. I bounced back through experience and being familiar with the Alliance denomination. I remember quite clearly my first morning here. I knew I found a home in the church the minute I walked in the door. When worship began, I didn't sing or praise. I was overwhelmed with emotions and cried to myself, but in happy tears, if that makes sense. But I look up and almost like tunnel vision, I saw this guy across the church and it was as if he had a spotlight on him. I watched as he praised and worshiped Jesus fluent in loving God and being before Him. In that moment, I knew I was experiencing the Holy Spirit through someone else. I was shown that in His presence, we are never alone. My name is Jacqueline LaRock, and I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Hi, everyone. I only attended five or six times as a child, but I always believed in God. As an adult, I went to church for a few weeks or months at a time, but it never lasted. I always felt like an outsider. My wife and I started coming to SPAC a couple years ago because we didn't want our children to miss out on a life of faith. It has turned out to be a blessing for me, more than I could have ever imagined. I found a community here, a school for my children, and most importantly, a relationship with Christ that I never knew was possible. I want to confirm my belief in Christ by being baptized. He has shown me grace and mercy and blessed me with a wonderful family and many good friends. He has provided more than I deserve. My name is Jamie Spear, and I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I recently decided to get baptized because I've been on my thinking about it. My teacher had said I was the perfect age to get baptized, and baptisms were happening the next Sunday. When I learned more about what it meant, I knew it was the perfect thing for me. I officially welcomed Jesus into my heart just recently on October 22, 2023. 
Afterwards, I felt so happy. I am so excited to get baptized and continue to have a meaningful understanding of God's work in my life. My name is Evan Walker, and I have accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Today, I'm choosing because I feel like God has been telling me to. I now follow Jesus and have a relationship with Him because I have come to understand who He is and what He does for me. My name is Scott Walker and I have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Growing as a Catholic since early age and being baptized as a kid, I didn't know the real meaning of being a follower of Jesus. It took me quite a while and quite a few years to understand the meaning of serving the Lord and Jesus. That's why it took quite a few years for me to comprehend and understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. So I have decided to be baptized as it's the right thing to do, and it is the next step in my journey with Christ. My name is Jose Nieto, and I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior as a young child during summer DVBS and then recommitted my life to Christ when I was a teen. I've always claimed the promise God makes in Jeremiah 29:11. His promise means that He will always provide what I need, that in Him there is hope and a future. Life hasn't always been easy. There have been times when there was no worldly reason why things turned out as they did. It was clear God had the situation well in hand. The Lord has blessed me beyond what I deserve and has always been the God who stays. So today with baptism, if there is any doubt, I'm simply removing that doubt. I'm saying, Lord, I'm all in. My name is Cheryl Prisabella, and I have received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're able, why don't you stand? We're going to turn our attention to the tank to celebrate, uh, to cheer those on who are getting baptized, and we're going to worship uh, as we do this.
needed rescue, my sin was heavy. The chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter, I was an orphan. Then you call me a citizen of heaven.
We love you, we thank you, and we celebrate the uh, lives that have been transformed here this weekend, last night, and this morning. God, we just pray your blessing, your peace, your Holy Spirit over those who uh, took this step, God, and we support them, we love them, we encourage them, uh, but we know that you love them even more, that you have your hand on them, guide them, and protect them. 
Thank you, Jesus. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you celebrate with those who took that step. Give them a high five or a hug. Thank you all for being here, and we will see you again next weekend.